Welcome to our social landscape. I'm J.R. Woodward. My guest today is health policy expert, Dr. Aaron Carroll, distinguished professor of pediatrics and chief health officer at Indiana University. An author and frequent contributor to the New York Times and other national media outlets, he has written and YouTubed extensively on the status of the U.S. healthcare system, or healthcare shitstem, as Peter Tosh might have said, particularly as it compares to other nations. As a social epidemiologist, I've long had an interest in how America stands out, and not in positive ways, related to so-called peer nations. According to the most recent rankings by the World Health Organization, the U.S. ranks 69th, despite spending more money than any other country in gross and percentage of GDP. 69th. I'm not surprised at the ranking, but geez, how do we spend so much money and have so little to show for it? I remember my physician father discussing how great our healthcare system was while watching my nurse mother roll her eyes at his hubris. I believe there are deep-seated reasons for this ranking going back to our basic ideologies that focus on the individual over the collective and profit over people. So there's no way to encapsulate all the issues in one single podcast interview, but I think Aaron gives us a great start. It's a short interview, but there's no fluff. He spent the better part of his career on this issue, and it was a pleasure to talk to him. So when people compare healthcare systems or they will say, you know, the U.S. healthcare system is this or that, what are some of the things that you think are important measures for that? You know, I've heard so many people say we have the best healthcare in the world, but the WHO, for example, doesn't think we have the best healthcare in the world. So, you know, what is a, an objective definition of a good healthcare system look like for you? So whenever I talk about healthcare systems, I like to talk about uh, three domains that, that usually you want to try to focus on. And those are cost, quality, and access. You know, how much do you spend on it? How expensive is it? How easy is it to get the stuff that's in it or difficult? And what's the quality that it produces? You know, that's where people are saying, like, it's the best. Um, usually, a country tries to maximize one or two of these. Uh, you know, you might want to be cheaper or you might want to be the best, or you might want to make sure that everybody can have everything they want. Um, but it's usually hard to nail all three of those things. In fact, it's almost impossible to nail all three of those things at the same time. I can give you a healthcare system that's the best in the world by quality. That's either going to cost a ton or it's, you know, we're going to have to limit access in some way. I can give you a system where you can have anything you want at any time. Again, that's going to cost a lot or quality is likely to suffer. I give you a, a cheap system, but that's probably not going to be the best. Or again, we'll, act, we'll have to limit what you can get. The problem with the United States is it's terrible at all three of those things. Uh, <laughs> it is the most expensive by far in the world. So completely fails on cost. Uh, it, it fails on a variety of measures of access, the least of which is insurance. Uh, and then the quality is like middling to decent to good. You know, it's yeah. it's not the worst by far, um, but it is also not the best. And you can, you know, you can pick almost a number of metrics of quality that you'd want to look at, but it doesn't excel at, at almost any of them. Okay. Thanks. That kind of jumps right into my next question. I was going to say just kind of the current uh, system we have and how you think it fares on the metrics that you just gave me, but you kind of yeah. got a little bit of it. But um, how did we get to this spot? I've, you know, again, I've heard 
people say the, you know, this healthcare system are the ideas behind it, at least are old, you know, the founders and whatnot. And I think of the old days, you just hung out a shingle, right? <laughs> Instead, yeah. you were whatever. And then the AMA professionalizes it and all. But yeah. like our current incarnation, how did it how did it morph into where we are now? When did that happen? World War Two and IRS policy. And it's it's like really that simple. Okay. Uh, so, you know, we start in, you know, the, the early 1900s where there just isn't that much insurance. There's not that much medical care to go around. Hospitals are places you went to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, as we started to develop more and more healthcare, stuff started to get more and more expensive. Uh, and so then people got the idea of like, maybe we could start to put together like schemes to, to make it easier for people to access what we want. A bunch of doctors, I think, got together, if I remember correctly, and they were like, why don't we put together a scheme where, like, we can sell our wares to to big groups or companies, and then they can access it. And they formed a group, and they called it Blue Cross. Okay. And then the hospitals were like, well, that's a great idea. We should get in on that. Um, so they they said, maybe we can go sell our services to doctors, or to, I'm sorry, to, to companies or to people. And they got together, and they formed a thing called Blue Shield. And it wasn't like till the 1980s that they merged and became okay. Blue Cross and Blue Shield, which, you know, of course, we all know now. Sure. But it was, it was really still pretty small. Like, it was a niche product that really wasn't there. But during okay. World War II, there was a shortage of workers in the United States because we were sending, of course, a huge number of able-bodied men uh, across the world to, to, to fight. And therefore, we had a huge competition for workers. Uh, and there were a series of wage increases and inflation was going through the roof. And everybody started to panic. Uh, and in order to stop this, the, the, the government passed a wage freeze, which said, you cannot keep raising wages. Now, Businesses are smart. They need to compete in some other way. And so they came up with this novel idea of why don't we start offering health insurance uh, instead of wages and we could offer better and better health insurance. So, you know, before World War II, not that many people have job-based health insurance. By the time we hit the Korean War, it was like two-thirds of people. Okay. Well. Um, now, in addition, right after they started competing in this, the IRS said, oh, my God, we, why don't we also make that tax-free? Uh, and so now it became an even bigger incentive for mm-hmm. jobs to start offering health insurance because mm-hmm. it became ways that they could compete even more cheaply. And so they started dumping more and more money into private-based health insurance. And this, again, part of why we get yeah. so many people. Now, World War II ends, and everyone is realizing that healthcare is getting more and more expensive, and we need to find ways to pay for that. Well, most of the countries in Europe, they've just been through a devastating war. Infrastructure destroyed. You know, the idea that we were going to turn around and start having a bustling economy that was going to like where private industry was going to take care of that wasn't going to happen. So you get a lot more government involvement and we're going to have to figure out ways to, to provide this to people. But in the United States, as I just said, we had this massive private industry and and we were booming um, that was covering this and unions had just spent years and unions were strong back then fighting for this as a vital thing for workers unions fighting for something businesses fighting for something ama and everyone else fighting for that like who then no one's gonna stop that that's all the corners of the you know so we got entrenched and although there have been multiple times uh to try to uh change this it is and it's a system that that became more and more entrenched. Um, and although we've allowed the government to continue to expand in the most expensive areas, so we let the government cover the elderly, mm-hmm. poor people, the military, like those are the expensive people. But anywhere there's money to be made, 
in covering mostly healthy people, private industries all over it. And it became a bigger and bigger part of our economy where now, you know, you don't make money on just one side of it, insurance. You know, the provision of healthcare is an enormous moneymaker right. uh, as well. And it has become sort of this morass of not really much of a market, but entrenched in so many different ways and such a big part of our economy, it's very difficult to stop. So how, and as a general statement here, how does that differ from some of these other countries, maybe peer nations like the OECD or whatnot, um, if you could kind of put your finger on one or two things that you said that you could you know, have read that you've written, but I'd like to just hear more about. It's funny because everybody thinks that, you know, that there's like two choices. It's like us or single payer. Like those are the only two options. It's us or socialized medicine, even if they want to go that far. And single payer is socialized finance medicine, but not socialized medicine. Single payer systems are actually somewhat rare in the world. You know, there are some, but we just happen to have one right to our north. Maybe that's why we pick on it all the time. But ironically enough, Canada is not 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 even close to the best healthcare system in the world. And I'm, it's ironic that that's what we're fighting for all the time. Yeah. Or yeah. some people are fighting for all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, there is like the UK, which is totally socialized, but but we only ever seem to talk about financed, you know, how we're going to pay for care. And there's so many different ways to do that. But what separates us from the rest of the world is not single payer versus us. It's that everybody else has a reasonably easy to describe mechanism for the provision of insurance that covers just about everybody. It can be a single payer system. It could be an entirely private, but, but well-regulated private insurance system. It could be a mostly, you know, self-funded HSA funded scheme. It could be, you know, broadly run nonprofit, uh, you know, co-ops, but, Mm -hmm. but there's a scheme that describes the United States there's just a billion schemes, it feels like. I mean, you know, elderly is Medicare, an arguably single-payer system. Medicaid is 50 different organizations. I mean, it's all state-based with slightly different rules and different networks and everything else and how it works. Uh, the VA is a completely socialized system like the yep. UK. Uh, those of us with job-based health insurance, uh, every most of them are funded independently by the jobs themselves. No one has completely job-based insurance like we do. And then if you go to the exchanges, you're basically running sort of like in Switzerland, but you know it's still for-profit and there's a lot of different rules and levels and it's very, very confusing. And because we're so complex, uh, we can't seem to solve it. There's no sort of lever to push. It's, it's all over the place. You're so that's one thing that separates us, an easy to define scheme by which we could provide or get insurance for everyone. The second thing is, uh, is that almost every other country in the world relies on some level of public delivery system. In fact, I shouldn't say some level, a majority public delivery system. Most countries seem to get most of their care from public hospitals. We are the we are the, the the weird one there too. We're very few of our hospitals are public. Almost all of our hospitals are private. Some are nonprofit, but believe me, they're still heavily based on revenue, and they're trying to get as much revenue as possible. Yeah. Um, and one thing that, that you know, then that that's a huge differentiator. And the third is that we are, have a massively uh, underinvested public health um, and sort of what we define as health. We spend so much money on acute sick care 
that there's no money left for lots of other things that we might do that other countries invest. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason that the second, the public versus private delivery system is important is that, you know, everybody thinks government bad, private good. Private is good at many things. Private is good at innovation. Private is good at customer service. Private is good at amenities. They're good at competition, but, but they're not good at keeping costs down. What is public good at? Public is good at finding efficient, cheaper ways to do stuff like, you know, getting the bare minimum to people that might be good enough, but it's not going to have bells and whistles and is cheap. And when you want the delivery of acute health care, that's what most countries are shooting for. Now, almost all of them have a private release valve, like a private system with it with the exception of Canada, which is odd again, which is that's the one we pick all the time. But, you know, you go to England, you go to France, you go to Australia, you go to New Zealand. There's there's also a private system. It's just that a minority of people choose it. Only people that want to spend a ton of money out of pocket just to, to sort of have more amenity laden care or who want to jump the queue. Uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. but it's that. that. It's, yeah, you, you wrote about that. And I had a question about that. Because we can't, yeah, it's our it's our scheme is too is too difficult. We don't do enough public delivery, and we don't spend enough on on things like social determinants of health and improving health before people get really sick. The idea of a private like a safety valve sounds really intriguing. You know, um, to in the countries that you're aware of, is there any um, public money coming from that at all? Like uh, public money going, or like tax breaks and subsidies, or is it straight up just private? You go pay what you want, but public dollars are not going to it. It's really almost uh, private dollars and paying towards that. Now, they also sometimes offer private insurance, so that can also be supported, but that is not publicly subsidized. Um, Now, no, no, I'm going to, I'm pretty much across the board. Like, you know, most of those countries, like there's private and there's public and the private is, this is why so few people engage in it. You got to be amongst the top, you know, 10, 20% of earners Mm -hmm. uh, before you'd even think to touch it. Um, and of course, it's still cheaper than what you get in the United States because they know people aren't going to reach in their own pocket for unlimited amounts of money. But but no, if you if you opt for the private system, you're usually going uh, with with private money and admitting like upfront, like I don't need government help because I I can afford this. Okay. All right. So the last part then is how we can try to you know what some strategies might be. Um, you wrote in uh, Trapped in the System, a sick doctor story about your hurdles for getting medicine and care. You stated there's no bad guy here. I love the, the drunk company that provides the drug, the doctors, whatever. It's the system that's the issue. So, you know, the system to me is still the pharmaceutical companies, the insurance companies, the private hospitals and whatnot. So can we restructure our system to get a better one? Or if that's not realistic, how do we make being stuck in the confines of our current system more equitable and less vicious? Well, ironically enough, I'd say with that article, like that, that's a fix of almost information sharing. Uh, where sure we could have a, we could we could decide on that like if, if you know we pass all these arcane or bizarre laws on like how we're going to upgrade our our EMRs and information system and I only wish that the law said one thing and one thing only and that was like there should be a button that when I push it all my data gets exported into a standardized format that anyone else can read. We can't do that. Like my 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 primary care doctor's office may not be able to talk to my GI doctor's office, which can't talk to every lab, which can't talk to every pharmacy, which can't like it's just it's bizarre. Yeah, uh-huh. Um, and that's that's what what I was sort of writing about in in that sense. And it's not in people's interest or businesses' interest to share data when they're in competition. And so we got to acknowledge that, that that's where government has to step in. Um, but if you were if we were to ask more broadly, like, what could we do to fix the healthcare system? It's like, one, I wish we'd get off 
just the, 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 the two pretending this is just two choice debate that it's binary of like status quo private versus single payer mm-hmm. i don't care how we get to a universal coverage system pick mm-hmm. like let's decide what we want and what we're willing to get rid of there are lots of ways to get there including like completely eliminating medicare medicaid and government and switzerland system is phenomenal entirely private insurance based like i would take it in a second Um, The second is I think we could invest more in public delivery systems and, you know, acknowledge that like, yeah, it might not be as fancy or as nice, but it's going to be cheaper um, and try to encourage that kind of mindset. Uh, And the third is I I think, you know, it's important to remember that uh, a lot of healthcare is run at the state level, like insurance is already able to say that we, we pretend like we have one system, we have 50 systems, sometimes even more, if you really want to get down to it, because cities can do things that, like start investing or just getting more novel in how we, you know, try to invest in different things at a more local level and stop, stop fighting for one big federal change. I would love to see some state get pretty inventive in trying to fix this and figure it out and not by like making things worse, yeah. but like really commit to some way to try to do universal coverage or some way to try to increase public deliveries or some way to try to improve social determinants of health uh, and and then see if we can make something better. Yeah, I love what putting together some of your writings. The thing that stuck out to me was how other countries view uh, your quote was um, we define something like we define healthcare as where you go when you're sick yeah. um, as opposed to trying to remain well. And they end up spending less overall, but they're also spending things that will require us to go to the doctor less. And it just seems like an easy cycle if we could just step so on. If we could just step on it. We can't. We can't because we we view like we for some reason demand that public health not only be cost effective but cost savings. In other words, we we demand like for every dollar I spend on public health, I should save more than a dollar. That's but in medicine. We don't even demand that it be cost effective. Like so many drugs and stuff you do in the hospital, we're not even sure that it's worth the money, but we'll spend, 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 spend. But for public health, public health is massively cost effective, but we won't invest in it because we demand it be cost saving. It's a very strange bargain that we've agreed to that doesn't make sense. Is there any kind of resource um, like you were talking about the difference in Canada and Japan or Switzerland? Like, is there just a good resource for people who want to understand these better? A, a book, an article, an organization? Well, I mean, we, this is where I'll, I'll be self-promoting. But we, I, we have a YouTube show called Healthcare Triage that has a whole series on uh, international healthcare systems and YouTube videos that are easily easy to digest. Mm-hmm. If you're willing to I've go the it. distance a little more, the Commonwealth Fund okay. puts out a report called Mirror Mirror every two years where they review international healthcare systems, including the United States. It's a little yeah. dense for, I think, lay people, but it's good. Okay. Um, and they, you know, what I love about them is they don't pick two countries. They pick a lot of countries and they pick a lot of metrics and they talk about all of those metrics, not just one. Because the way you make the United States look good is you pick a country, a year, and a metric. And you go, in 1990, we were better at prostate cancer than Britain. (laughs) Okay. But, you know, we were terrible against every other cancer. Like, so it's just, you got to stop cherry picking. Do you think we'll see this issue in the campaign coming up, 2024 election? Do you think it doesn't seem like everybody's talking about healthcare yet? No, I think it's, uh, no, if I'm going to be honest, I just don't, because I don't think that uh, there's a lot of will 
First of all, it's like where you have to remember in order to do anything major, not only do you have to win the house, you got to win like two thirds of the Senate, Psh, right, right. You know, almost, almost impossible. Mm-hmm. So all they can really shoot for is stuff that they can do through reconciliation, which is always a huge lift. Um, and given that, that neither party holds a significant majority, it's hard to squeak through any, any of these changes. So I, I just don't see it being, uh, a big part, which always saddens me because there's just so much work to be done in so many different ways. And we view this as either you're ready to revamp the entire thing in some way that's going to just irk it instead of just talking about, well, how, how can we like compromise and figure out what do we want and what are we willing to get up to get, give up to get there and trade off and, you know, have a better conversation. Yeah. Right. Good luck. Right. In this country, yeah. it's going the other way. All right. That's it. Well, last thing, your pediatrician training, right? That's your training? Originally. Yeah. Okay, so uh, this is a left field question. What about the uh, transgender gender affirming surgery for kids? A lot of states, mine included, are totally barring it, banning it. I was thinking about it because you were talking about uh, obesity and mental health and people saying, well, these drugs and this and that, same kind of thing with the trans people are scared of it. What do you think? I I just think in general that like we should not have politicians or anyone, you know, not being a patient or a physician getting right. terribly involved in people's private Jeez. medical decisions. That's amazing, isn't and it? And that involves, so that, that's just, pick your thing. It's like, yeah. I'm going to be pretty consistent. It's like, yeah. I think that, you know, people make medical decisions for a variety of reasons that I cannot comprehend or judge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for the most part, I want to respect people's ability to have a good relationship with their physician that's confidential and where they get to do that on their own. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. I interviewed a pediat- uh, pediatric endocrinologist named Hussein Abdul-Latif, who runs the UAB's gender clinic about it. And then Marcy Bowers, who's the president of WIPATH, WPATH. Yep. Uh, it's a really interesting issue to me. Um, yeah. and, that's, and both of them were kind of like, you know, the doctor-patient relationship is a, is a relationship of, of art and not just science. Like you got to let them figure that out with the parents involved, of course, as well. But I mean, and, that, and granted, this is extreme, but there are so many times where like, we're, there is just no cut and dry answer. And people no. have to like make the best answer for themselves that they can with the information that's available to them in their life experience. And that goes for so many different things. Like, I'm not going to tell you, regulate how you eat. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to regulate how you live or what activities you engage in. Like, like, there's so many different things. It's your private life. And this is Americans. Like, it's your private individual liberty life. I don't understand. Like, stop. We should not be (laughs) inserting our own ideas into healthcare as much as possible. There's nothing to understand. You've been listening to an interview with Aaron Carroll on our social landscape, and I hope you enjoyed our conversation. If you did, please take a minute to follow, like, rate, and share the podcast in all the usual places. I thank Aaron for taking the time to engage in a friendly chat, and unfortunately, I tend to agree with his belief that these issues are not likely to be pressing in the upcoming 2024 presidential election, and it's a profound shame. We can argue about culture war issues, immigration, jobs, and the like, but without a healthy population, where exactly are we headed? Particularly confounding is that most Americans on the right or the left actually agree on the fundamental position that our healthcare system is in need of repair, and repairing it would surely save lives. And yet, the issue is buried in our national dialogue, and when it is discussed, we're confronted quite quickly with the difficulty of agreeing on even the most basic of strategies. 
I like Aaron's approach because he loosens the reins, so to speak. Let's throw all the possible options into the mix and see what sticks. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on the interview, and I'll remind you that one of the purposes of this blog is to engage in public sociology. For me, the goal is to engage academic and non-academic audiences in critical discussions of social issues that are typically confined to the academic world, but it doesn't work if I'm the only one doing the talking. So please feel free to sign up for the blog and become a member, which simply entails creating a username and password. Then you can comment after each post. At the very least, please feel free to email me your comments, and I'll be sure to respond. I'll post a link to Aaron's wonderful YouTube page, and if you're feeling so inclined, you can push the yellow donate button on the homepage here. If you have any questions or comments, you can email me, jr at oursociallandscape.com. Thanks for listening. Make your favorite sound, and when there's too much to get rid of, you get rid of me. Speak plainly to me, Diana, there's nothing you must be said. I don't mind riding around, I don't mind riding around, I don't mind riding around.